Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to read a short passage from chapter 3, and then we're going we're gonna to read a longer passage from chapter 4. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to ask you, what are you worried about today? You know, are you worried about, are you worried about finances? Are you, are you worried about your Thanksgiving meal with family coming into town? There's a, there's a lot of anxiety around that these days. Are you worried about your health? What about your job? M- maybe your grades. What is it that you're worried about? You, you know, people today seem, seem really to be anxious uh, about everything. I, I heard the story when, when the stock market crashed that these two stockbrokers were talking to one another and, and one said, you know, I'm just absolutely worried sick. And uh, the other one said, well, I, I'm not worried at all. He said, I've hired a professional worrier to do all my worrying for me. And, and the other guy's like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Uh, how, much, you know, how much does that cost? And he said, uh, $100,000, the guy said. And then the other one said, well, where in the world are you gonna come up with that, that kind of money? And the other guy said, that's not my worry, that's his. You know, we're, we're living in a world today where it seems like we're having an epidemic of anxiety. Have you guys noticed that? I mean, across the board, I think what's interesting too is it particularly is hitting our young people uh, like, like we've never really seen before. So elementary school students, middle school students, high school students, college students struggling uh, with anxiety uh, like we've uh, never seen before. And certainly uh, all of us as adults have experienced it as well. And so this morning, I wanna, I wanna look at what the Bible says about worry and anxiety, because what I... What, what I've just come to find is that the Bible, Scripture, really gives us the antidote to anxiety. You know, an antidote is really a remedy. It's medicine uh, to counter the effects of a poison or, or a disease. And, and I would say that um, w- there's a lot of people that are experiencing anxiety and worry uh, today. And so Scripture really gives us uh, the, the solution that we need. And, and so, so I want us to kind of look at that this morning. Now, what is the difference between worry and anxiety? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that, what the difference is? Uh, the, the difference really is this. Worry is more specific. It is, it is more temporary and it's focused on a particular thing. But anxiety is more persistent and, uh, and it, it's really more spread out over time. And so worry affects us in our minds. Anxiety tends to manifest itself in our bodies. And so there are some subtle differences between the two. And so I'm going to use them interchangeably today because I really believe the scripture speaks to both of them. I think scripture really solves the issue for both of them today. And so we're going to read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and eight, and then we're going to jump into chapter four. And I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read the word of God uh, together today? So the apostle Paul writes this in chapter three, verse seven. He says, "But whatever, but whatever gain I had, I, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord." For whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So what's the antidote to anxiety? Well, in a word, peace. The peace of God. And that's what I want us to kind of look at today. I want to answer just from our text today, three questions. What is peace? How do we practice peace? And then what, what is the secret of peace? All right, so let's look at the first one. What, what is peace? Now, let me kind of set it up this way. When you think about the opposite of joy, what would you think about? Yeah, you probably think sadness, right? When, when you think about the opposite of peace, what would you think of? You, you would say anxiety or worry. And so when you have anxiety and worry, what you really have is an absence of the peace of God. And so the issue is not that you're anxious or you're worried. The real issue is lacking in the peace of God. You see, those two really can't cohabitate together. They, they, they really can't go together. You're never going to hear somebody say, you know, I'm really anxious about the, you know, the exam on Monday, but I have a peace about it, you know. You're, you're never really going to hear that because the peace of God and worry and anxiety really just don't mix together. And so I want you to notice what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. He says this. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, so basically what he's saying is choosing not to be worried, choosing not to be anxious, really opens the door for the peace of God to come into your life. All right, so that's, that's kind of the premise that he is laying out for us. Now, the question is, though, what is peace? And the answer, very simply, is peace is just a, an inner tranquility. You know, the peace is really just poise under pressure. And uh, it's fascinating to me because he, he talks about this as something that he has learned. Let me, let me show it to you in verse 11. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, he says, for I know how to, he says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In other words, I am to be at peace regardless of the circumstances. I, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty, 
hunger and abundance and need. Now, I share that with you because, because two times in those, in those two or three verses, he mentions that he's learned this, that this is something that, that he has learned. And uh, he has learned to be at peace regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself in. So then the question becomes, well, what circumstances does the Apostle Paul find himself in as he's writing this letter? Well, you probably know if you're, if you're familiar with a letter to the Philippians, but he is in prison. He is, he is in shackles and chains, and he could be executed at a moment's notice. So, so that order could come down at any moment of any day that he's in prison, and that's where he is. That's enough to make me anxious if I'm in his situation. And so what he says is, I've learned, even in this circumstance, to be at peace. The peace of God is actually guarding my heart and my mind. And it's, 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 it's just fascinating to me that he's, he's not saying, you know, I, I'm just naturally gifted at peace. You know, it just comes natural to me. I'm just, I, I'm just so spiritual in my walk with God that, yeah, this stuff doesn't really faze me. He doesn't say that. He says two times, I've learned the secret. I've learned this. And so that's really encouraging because it reminds us that peace is not natural to us. We're not born into this world, this broken, fallen, darkened, sin-cursed world. We're not born in this world at peace, are we? I mean, we come into the world crying. And so, and so the peace that he's talking about is it was not something natural to him. And church, it's not natural to you either or to me. It's something that we learned. And that's what he's saying here. And, and, the, and the good news is this. If he learned it, then we can learn it as well. So, so peace is this poise under pressure. It's this inner tranquility. But I would also say that peace is the presence of God. So, so peace is not just the absence of fear, it's the presence of something. It's the presence of God in your life. That's what peace is. Look, look at what he says in, in verse five. He says, he says, let your reasonableness, the word there would be gentle, let your gentleness, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? Because he tells us the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. So what the peace of God really is, it's an awareness of the presence of God and, and that, that knowledge of knowing that the Lord is near us. The Lord is with us. That's what he's saying. That there are times in our life when, when you know, maybe we want to you know, we're tempted to have a panic attack where we get emotional. Maybe we get kind of, uh, you know, hysterical or irrational or, or, or whatever that looks like for you. But what he's saying is, no, there's, there's the opposite effect when you're aware of the presence of God. You have a reasonableness about you. There's a gentleness. There's a calm. There's a poise under pressure. And I think part of the awareness of the peace of God is realizing that the peace of God, the presence of God brings with it the protection of God. And that's really key. You have, this, you have this knowledge, you have this perspective, you have this awareness of, the, of the, the protection of God. That's why he says, 
the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, that word guard is a military term. And it's alluding to the fact, it's alluding to this picture of having having a battalion of soldiers guarding your city at night around the city walls while the people inside rest easy because they know they're safe. They know that they are protected because soldiers are surrounding and watching over the city. That's the imagery that Paul is is using here. And so the peace of God is really the presence of God near us. And with that presence is this awareness of his protection. Now, it's interesting to me that, you know, what the world says we should do with our anxiety and worry and then what God's word says we should do with anxiety and worry because there is a vast, vast difference. I, I, did a little, I, I did a little research on the internet and uh, the key word there is little, but uh, anyway, I did a little research on the internet and I just kind of scanned some, you know, some health websites about how to handle anxiety, how to handle worry. And, and this, is, this, this comes from healthline.com. They, they, they gave me five things to do with my worry and anxiety. One of them was to remove negative thoughts. So to get negative thoughts out of, out of my mind completely. And, and a part of that is if I have a fear of something, I need to challenge those fears and ask, are those fears rational and even true? And, and, and then the goal would be to regain control. That's, that's what the article said. And then secondly, I need to practice deep breathing. So if I'm experiencing anxiety or worry, I need to, I need to kind of focus on my breathing. Number three, use aromatherapy. Candles, oils, or incense might activate, this article said, brain receptors that would, that would make me feel less anxious. Number four, go for a walk. Go for a walk. I wouldn't go today. It's a little cold. That would only make you cold. So I uh, wouldn't do that. But, but number five, write down your thoughts. So those were the five things. Now, I'm not saying those are bad. I, I think in a lot of situations, th- those are really good things uh, to do if you're feeling anxious and it were and and worry but this is the thing that I would say alone they are not sufficient because they're they're missing a key component and that key component is the presence of God you see Christian peace is the presence of God in your life Christian peace is the protection of God in your life and that's completely missing in the world's approach to dealing with worry and anxiety. See, the presence of God lifts us above circumstances. The the presence of God gives us the power to overcome whatever trial, whatever situation, whatever negative circumstances that we might be in. That, That the power of God envelops us and God gets the glory and our faith grows stronger uh, in whatever circumstance that we're going through. And so I was reading on CNN.com, there was, there was a nun that, she was 86 years old, and uh, she, got, she got stuck in an elevator, and uh, the elevator just died, and she, she spent four days and three nights in this elevator because no one knew the elevator was down, and she had a bottled water with her, she had some, you know, some celery and some cough drops, and she had her cell phone, but she couldn't get a cell phone signal out to call anybody, so she, she came to this question, am I going to panic about this or am I going to pray? 
And according to the article, what she did is she just, during, the, during that time in the elevator, she prayed and she worshiped. And what she said is the presence of God filled that elevator. And she said something that was negative turned into something that was completely positive. It lifted her above those circumstances. You see, the peace of God is the presence of God in our life. And it's the awareness of God's protection. Now, how, how, do, you, how do you do this? How, how, do you, how do you practice peace? And how, how do you get to a place of cultivating this poise under pressure? I, I, think, there's, I think there's three words I think the text kind of points us to as far as, it, as far as practicing peace. And, and the three words are, you know, when it comes to practicing the peace of God, thinking, thinking, and delighting. So if we're going to practice peace, we need to be thinking, thinking, and delighting. Let, let me, let me, let, let's talk about thinking first. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. He says this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, he says, think about these things. Now, that is really interesting because what he does is he gives us a list of the kinds of things we need to be thinking about. And what he says is, what we're thinking about needs to match that list. And, and, he, and he, goes, he goes through it. And that word think, it, it just means to meditate. It means to drill down on, right? It means to kind of focus your thoughts on. So, so he says, whatever is true. So that would be anything that corresponds with the word of God. Whatever is honorable, that would be anything that's respectable. What, whatever is just, anything that measures up to God's standards. Whatever is pure, you know, something that is morally blameless. Uh, whatever is lovely, uh, that reminds us of, you know, character traits that, that uh, you know, make believers attractive and winsome, like kindness or generosity. He says, whatever is commendable. You know, if something is commendable, it's something of good report or whatever is excellent. You know, something that's, you know, that reflects the best of things and not the worst of things. So, so in other words, what he's saying is this. I want you to think about what you're thinking about. And if what you're thinking about doesn't match these qualities, then there's no wonder you have anxiety and worry in your life. And so we need to be thinking about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. That, so many times, is the cause, it's the root of our anxiety and our worry. Now, why are your thoughts so important in your life? Why is it so crucial that you and I think about what we think about? Well, I would say this. I would say your thoughts are the foundation of your life. You know, for most of us, and, and I would say for, for the majority of the time, we have the opportunity to think before we do. So your thought life is really going to determine the direction of your life. So what we think about is absolutely crucial. And, and, so, and so nothing determines the direction of your life more than your thoughts. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says it like this, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. 
The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because he understands the connection between our thought life and our actions. That if we sow a thought, we're going to reap an action. And then if you sow, you know, sow an action, you're going to reap a habit. And if you sow a habit, you're going to reap a lifestyle. And if you sow a lifestyle, you reap a destiny. But it all starts with how we think. And so he's challenging us to think about what we think about. Now, church, let me just ask you, what do we think about most of the time? What do you think about most of the time? What do I think about most of the time? I mean, if we were being honest, we would, we would probably say we think about us most of the time. We, we, we think about how we're doing or how we perceive that we're doing. We, 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 we think about how we're feeling. We think about what we want, our desires, when we want them. A lot of times what we're thinking about is what other people are thinking about us. That's what we're thinking about. And most of the time, as we're thinking about what other people are thinking about us, they're not even thinking about us at all. Did you know that? <laughs> Do you realize that? Like we're all freaked out about what other people are thinking about us, and they're not really even thinking about us. Now, if I'm with Luann, and all I'm talking about is me, and all I'm doing is thinking about me, and I'm never asking her about her, I'm never considering what she's going through, but every time I'm with her, it's all about me. What would you call that? You would say, that's selfish. That guy's self-absorbed. He's, he's self-focused. And, and the last time I checked, I'm not always true. I'm not always, I'm not always honorable or pure or lovely. I'm not always praiseworthy. You know, I'm not all of those things. But who is? Who do you know is always true and honorable pure and lovely, excellent and praiseworthy. Who do you know is always like that? Jesus. And I think what Paul is trying to say is we need to think about Jesus. We need to dwell on and think on how much he loves us, how much he wants to bless us, how he's always with us, how he never gives up on us, how he believes in us, you know, all the things that he, how patient he is with us. We need to be thinking those kind of thoughts. We, 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 need to, we need to get to a place where we're not really thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about him because that's where our hearts are, are drawn on. In fact, what I, I, I would put it this way. We, we, need to be, we need to be thinking the doctrines of God. That's what we need to be thinking. Now, that's kind of a heady word. I know it sounds kind of academic and theological, but it's really not. You know, a doctrine is just a scriptural teaching about God. That's all it is. And so you're going to be thinking about God. The question is, is it scriptural or not? Our world has a lot of thoughts about God, but it's not scriptural. And so what we need to do is, is really think about the doctrines of God. Now, the question then becomes, well, what does the Bible teach uh, about God? Well, I, it teaches a lot, actually. You know, it teaches he's always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Do you know that he, the Bible teaches that he loves us and he made us 
to fellowship with him. He made us to be in relationship with him. You know, the Bible teaches that he will provide for us. The Bible teaches he'll protect us. The Bible teaches that he will avenge our hurts and wrongs committed against us. Did you know that? The Bible teaches that one day God's going to take this broken and fallen world and he's going to make all things new. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to your purpose. Now, to his purpose. Now, here's the thing, church. If you're a Christian and you believe those things and you have anxiety and worry, dear Christian, you're not thinking. You need to think. You need to think about the truths that are all around you and focus your truths on that. My, my father-in-law, Pastor Woody Church, he would always say, if you do what's right, you'll feel right. And I'll add one more to that. If you think right, you'll feel right. A lot of times our problems stem from the fact that we have wrong thoughts about God, wrong thoughts about each other, and wrong thoughts about ourselves. And that's where a lot of anxiety and worry comes from. And so Paul says, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. Discipline your mind, guard your mind with the truth of God. And, and so kind of while we're here, th this is, church, this is why it's so important that you're, that you, you come to church every Sunday, right? Because, because what do we do? We hear the word of God every single Sunday. And what that does is it puts us on a trajectory of knowing the truth about God. And the more we grow in that understanding of the truth of who God is, the less anxious and the less worry we're going to have in our life. Why? Because we are, we are understanding God's view of life. That's why it's so important for you to be in a D group or a class or a Bible study. Why? Because what we do is we share with you the word of God. And what that does is it puts your life on a course of being free from worry. And you need that regular intake week in and week out every day. But there's an, then there's the practice of thanking. And uh, this is pretty simple. Look at verse 6. He, he says it like this. He says, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in, but, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, this is very counterintuitive because you would think that he would say, well, you need to pray about everything and then wait for God's answer. And when he gives you what you're praying for, then you thank him. That's what we think. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you need to pray about everything and then as soon as you're praying about everything, thank him in advance. Because see, thanking him in advance means you're good with whatever he decides because you realize he knows what's best. And you just affirm that in faith. And uh, that produces that gratitude and that security with him. You see, Here's, here's another way of explaining it. The world the way it is, is not the world God created. This is not the world that he wants with sin, sorrow, suffering, and death. This is, this is not the world he created. This is not the world that he wants. And here's the thing, church. He has a plan to deal with it. 
and he's going to deal with it. He really is. And so that's why, the, that's why Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, so what that verse is really saying is he's saying all things that happen in our life, all the circumstances that occur in our life, God is going to use them for good. Now, does that mean, when he says all things, does that mean even the hard things? Yes. Does that mean the things that God doesn't even like? Yes. All things means, very simply, all things. And uh, it just means that he is weaving his plan in such a way to redeem even hard things for us, for our good and for his glory. And so peace comes when we settle into that and say, God, you know what's best. I'm trusting you with the rest. That's where the peace of God comes. I, I was thinking about this and, you know, I was thinking when Jesus was on the cross crucified and all of his followers, I'm, I'm sure, went out to see him hanging on the cross. And I would guarantee you that they stood up there looking at the cross thinking, this is an absolute disaster. Like how in the world could have this happened? I mean, he, he touched so many people. He changed so many people. He healed so many people. God, how, how can anything good come out of this? And what were the disciples looking at? They were looking at the greatest act of redemption in the history of the world. But at that moment, they couldn't see that. And if we were there, we couldn't see it either. So God took something so evil, so unjust, and he flipped it and he used it for good. And so, and so that's what it means for us. We can give thanks because we know that whatever circumstance, whatever difficulty, whatever trial that we're tempted to be worried about or anxious about, you know what? God's going to use this for good. He's going to use it for his glory and he's going to use it for my good even when I can't see it because he's already proved that he's done that uh, with the cross. And so to the, to the degree that we believe Romans 8.28 is the degree to which we are going to have peace. Now there's one more and... Uh, and, and that is this, there's thinking, there's thanking, and then there's delighting, all right? Let me show it to you in verse four. Uh, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now this is kind of right along the same lines as what I've been really describing to you. The reality is that we can delight in our relationship with God every single day because we know He's using everything for good. See, we can rejoice. We can, we can delight in him regardless of the circumstances because our relationship with God is so central. It's so determinative in our lives that there's no trial. There's no adversity that can shake our joy in him because we know that he ultimately wins. And if we are in him, he shares that same victory with us. And so we find that delightful. We, we find it, you know, we, we find in ourselves a God confidence because we know he uses it all for good. And so, and so there's peace in that. And uh, there's another 
kind of characteristic about peace related to why we can, you know, really delight in him. It's, it's found in Ephesians 2.13 and 14. The Apostle Paul describes it like this. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice this phrase, for he himself is our peace. Like Jesus is our peace, he says. And what that means is our peace is not a journal entry. Our peace is not aromatherapy. Our peace is a person that we can delight in. And so it's really good news. Now, what's the secret to peace? Let me just finish with this. You know, he talks about uh, this in chapter 3. And, uh, and I think he just kind of explains the implications of it in chapter 4. But let me, let, let me show you what he says in, in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 again. He's, he's talking about, I've learned the secret to be content. He's mentioned that a couple of times. But he, but he doesn't outright say, here's the secret. So what is that secret? Well, look at, look at what he says. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, but whatever, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, what he does in the preceding verses is he lists all the things that he's achieved in his life that the world has told him he's needed to achieve in order to be happy, in order to feel significant in his life. So, you know, the world tells us we've got to have all these things in order, in order to be happy and satisfied, you know, to, to, to really be at peace in, in our lives. And so, and so what, he done, what he's done is he's, he's like thought about all of those things. You know, he's, he grew up in a prominent family. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, he mentions in Philippians. Uh, he had... Uh, he grew up in a privileged family. He's part of the elite in Israeli society. He had a PhD level education. His religious performance was absolutely off the charts. It was flawless, he says. And then he also had position, the highest position in Judaism. He was a Pharisee. He had everything that the world tells you you need to have. And what he's saying is, he's saying, you know what? I've done an inventory. I've kind of added it up. I've kind of tallied up the score. I've added that up. And I'm comparing all of that to knowing Christ. And what he says is, knowing Christ is far better. And his, his end game is this. He says, I consider all of that loss. I consider all of that rubbish, he says. Which is interesting because the Greek word for rubbish, you know what that is? It's dog poo. I'm not kidding. Scubula. And what he's saying is, I consider them all dog poo compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have gladly lost all things. Isn't that amazing? He says, knowing Christ is better by far. Walking with Christ is better by far. Loving Jesus is better by far than anything the world can say. You see, where I'm going with this is, is really this. I, I think our problem with anxiety and worry is we've set our hearts on the wrong thing. 
I think worry and anxiety comes from the fact that we're looking to the world to give us happiness and satisfaction and all of that. And it just never can. It's too small. And what Paul is saying is I've learned the secret. And the secret is setting my heart on my relationship with Jesus above all. You know, Pastor Tim Keller, he, t- he talks about this. He says, he says, you know, if you set your heart on success, you're going to be anxious. Because if you've already achieved success, the thing that you know deep down in your heart is you can't control maintaining success. So there's always going to be this at least low-grade anxiety running in your heart and in your mind. And even if you're striving for it, you know you can't control everything to achieve success. And it's the same way with family. You know, maybe, maybe you set your heart on, on your family or having a family above all things. And the same thing is true. What you know deep down is you can't control all the circumstances of your family. You can't control all the decisions that your kids make and your grandkids make. You don't have the power within you to control all of that. And even if you were blessed with a great family, there's still going to be anxiety and worry in your life because you know the truth. The truth is you're not in control. It's the same way with trying to gain the constant approval of other people which is what a lot of us chase. There's going to be this anxiety within us because we know we can't totally control that. And and so if you're setting your hearts constantly on what the world says we need to have, we're going to be anxious and we're going to worry because the truth of it just hits us right, right smack dab. But here's the thing, church, there is one thing you can control. And that is where you set your heart. And if you set your heart on Jesus above everything else, that's the one thing you can't lose. That's the one thing that can't be taken away from you unless you give permission. And so so that's what, that's the cause of anxiety. If If we can just set it on our relationship with God above all, above all else, we have a security in him. It's interesting, there's a, there's a verse in Isaiah that, that kind of talks about this. It's Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21. Let me, let me show it to you. This is, this is really just fascinating. Uh, Isaiah the prophet says this, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Now, what, what, is, what is Isaiah trying to get us to see here? What he wants us to see is, if I love something more than God, the natural consequence of that is restlessness, anxiety, and worry. It's just the outflow. And, uh, and so your life's going to be filled with mud and dirt. Your life's going to be like a house built on sand. And when the waters rise and the winds blow... Um, you're going to be worried. And so it's just a natural consequence of just living for something else other than God. Now, how do you set your heart on Jesus above all else? 
Well, I think that's pretty simple. I think you just, I think you just simply look at the cross because it's in the cross that you see how much God loves you. It's in the cross that you see how much Jesus loves you, right? You, you see that Jesus voluntarily went to the cross and he, and he lost his peace so that you and I could have peace. You remember when he was on the cross, he, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the gospel of Mark tells us he let out a huge scream, a huge yell. What is that? It's the absence of peace. So what he did, he loves you so much. He loves me so much. He took the consequences of our sin upon himself. And those consequences forfeited the peace that he enjoyed for all of eternity. And he did it for you and for me out of love for us. And so the reason why you can set your heart on him more than anything else is because no one loves you like he does. You know, there's the story of uh, Horatio Spafford. He, he was an attorney in Chicago and um, he lost everything in 1871 in the, in the, in the great Chicago fire. And uh, two years later, he decided to move to England. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship across the Atlantic Ocean and uh, to, to England. And the uh, ship, when it was on its way to England, hit another ship and uh, began taking on water. And the ship uh, began to sink. And so uh, his wife, Anna, got their four daughters together. They prayed together as the ship was going down. And, um, you know, a couple of, couple of days later, uh, a rescue ship found Anna unconscious floating in the ocean. And they were able to rescue her, uh, but they lost their four daughters uh, in the in the drowning and uh, and so she she made it to England and then she cabled back to him um, with two words these were the two words that she cabled back saved alone and so he received the news that he had lost all four of his daughters sometime after that he got on a ship so that he could meet his wife in England and while he was on the ship uh, to England he wrote the words of the hymn, it is well with my soul. And uh, there's a verse that, that goes like this. He writes, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Now, the question I had was, why in the world, how could he even say that in those circumstances? I mean, what, is, what does the cross really have to do with him losing his four daughters? Well, I, I think it has everything to do with him losing his four daughters. Because, because you see, a lot of people would say to Horatio Spafford, they would say, well, you know, God's punishing you. You, you, you must have done something really bad to take him off. And he just, he just punished you by taking your four daughters away from you. But see, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel at all. What Horatio Spafford writes in that verse that I just read to you is Jesus took our punishment for us. We're not being punished. Jesus was punished for us. 
And, and then some people would counter that and say, well, you know what? God doesn't care because if he really cared, if he was really a good and loving God, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have taken his daughters away. But that's not the gospel either, is it? So what's the gospel? The gospel is even God the Father understands what it's like to lose a loved one because he lost his son on the cross. See, we worship a God who understands our grief, who understands, you know, our worry and our anxiety, who understands it. And, uh, and so that's the gospel, church. The reason why you can trust him is because he would go to that length for you and for me. It's really, really good news. And so if you'll spend your time thinking that and thanking him for that and delighting in that, I have a feeling anxiety and worry will be the least of your concerns. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we give you praise. We give you glory for who you are. We thank you for your just great love for us. God, your, your peace in our lives. Thank you, God, that we are safe in your arms. And so nothing, nothing can touch us that's, nothing can ultimately hurt us because we're your sons and daughters, God. We, we're your very own, your very children. And so I just pray that you would, you would work amongst us, God, that you would, you, would, you would bring a deeper faith, God, that you would bring a greater awareness of your, of your presence and protection in the midst of whatever trials, whatever worries, whatever anxieties are, that we're tempted by. God, I just ask that you would help us to see your amazing love. And so God, just fill us with peace today. Fill us with that awareness of your presence. God, we surrender to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're gonna...